Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And with us this episode is a very special guest, our friend Tara. Hello. Say hello, Tara. Oh, you already did. <laughs> uh, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us, Tara. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're honored to have you as our first guest on our multi-part limited event series on Harry Potter. Yeah. The books of Harry Potter. The books of Harry Potter. You know the series as it's known, the books of Harry Potter. <laughs> Not the movies. No, mm. Not the theme parks. Mm. Not the candies. Oh, we'll get to the candies. <laughs> we're getting there. That's episode eight. Um, so yeah, this episode we're talking about the Chamber of Secrets. Rather, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Kelsey, do you want to recap the last episode at all? Is there anything we need to like retouch base on before we jump into this I mean, I think we should discussion? go into this episode. You know, at the end of the last episode, Jason had enjoyed the first book. I liked it. And, you know, had acknowledged that he understood why why it was a thing. Hey, folks, these Harry Potter books, I think there might be something here. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, we're in a positive place right now. <laughs> I just want to, you know, put that out there. And I think hopefully we'll stay in a positive place. I'm coming in this episode and I came to this book with a lot of positive energy. Okay. Excited to get back to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Find out what Harry and his chums are up to. See how things develop. Chums is a good word. <laughs> Chum is a good word, especially for his friends. Yeah, they're Cause, chums. Because they're British. Yeah. Chum Chang, spoiler. Oh. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Right, right, right. Tara, would you please, as they say, roll that beautiful bean footage and walk us through the plot of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets? Secrets. Secrets. Sure. So Harry's 12 now, and we start the book with, as I believe all of the books start, at the Dursley's house for the summer. It's terrible. It's like fucking terrible because (laughs) they are terrible. He's really bummed out because nobody's written to him all summer. All of his school chums from the previous year, it feels like they forgot him, even though they promised that they'd be in touch. The Dursleys kind of figure out after a while that he can't actually do magic and they lock him in a room. Oh wait, I've skipped ahead because they figured that out. Because of Dobby. Because of Dobby. The helpful house elf. All right, so on his birthday, which the Dursleys are shitty about, Harry receives a mysterious visitor in the form of a little house elf called Dobby who gives him a bunch of, like, really dire warnings and, like, slams himself in the head a bunch and then disappears after fucking up Harry's shit. The Dursleys are having, like, a big dinner with impressive company, con- like, people. concrete people. I think he's in, like, the concrete business. Um, he sells drills. Yes, and Dobby makes a mess, and he ruins dessert, and he, like, drops it all over Harry's head, and the Dursleys blame him, and then they lock him in a room, and it's very bleak, and he doesn't think he's going to go back to Hogwarts. They're, like, starving him. It's, like, actually incredibly abusive. Like, I'm so surprised every time I read these books how someone has not called child services on the Dursleys, but also I know that Dumbledore is part of the reason for that. I guess, yeah. It's interesting. This is the first time that I've revisited this book since, like, I've been a, more of, like, an adult and had, like, a non-teen perspective on it. Yeah. And as, like, a younger person, you're like, oh, man, they're so mean to Harry. And as an older person, you're like, I want to call the police. This is so <laughs> fucked. Like, don't they have police in England? <laughs> What's happening here? So it's interesting to see that perspective, have that perspective. So Harry's miserable. Fred and George and Ron appear one night at his window in a flying car and break him out. And he gets to go to the burrow for the first time, which is the name of the Weasley's house. And I like, like kind of teared up a little bit when we got to that part. because I was like, <laughs> it's the burrow and he hasn't been. And I was like so excited. And it's so warm. <laughs> it's so warm. I have such like genuine affection for like that 
part of the books yeah. and she writes it so beautifully and you're just like like the sun is creeping over the thing and there are gnomes in the garden and there's a clock and it's like mean to everyone and it's it's so good we meet ron's parents for i believe the first time which is very exciting arthur and molly love them <laughs> they're great they are great uh molly freaks out and they have to like denome the garden and do chores and harry's like doing chores with his pals and it's very domestic and nice he's like yeah i'll help you do chores i want to do chores here oh man tom sawyer would have loved this kid mm. yeah what a sap, <laughs> what a sap. <laughs> so summer happens harry gets to spend the rest of the summer with the dursleys the weasleys <laughs> Um, the There's good, a lot of leaves. The it's good fine. ones. Uh, the good family. The good family. And uh, the next sort of important plot point is we get to go to do school shopping at Diagon Alley, which is very fun. Harry does flu powder for the first time, which is not a drug. <laughs> <laughs> I just made it sound like one. It's how they travel when they can't apparate. It is instead the coolest thing ever. And I still, it activates a very deep childlike part of my mind, which is like, you can travel through the... The, the, the fireplace, ah, it's so magical. And it is magical. It's very so much magical. in that school of like a Narnia wardrobe, mm. a fireplace transit system that's uh-huh. like taps into something in your kid brain mm. where you're like, I've got a fireplace. I could, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I, also, I knew it. I also love like the sort of, we're in a magical world, but like things aren't necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there is a thing called apparating that you can do where you just, like teleport yourself from one point to another but like you have to have a license to do it and you have to learn how to do it and it's really hard magic and it's really difficult so it's like it's not just the only way to travel and so i like that there's these other forms of but in some ways it is the only way to travel <laughs> it's really the only there's way. like you know some people have cars and some people have to take public transit aka the flu powder system yeah exactly well yeah. i don't know we, we're never really presented with like what a car what like a magical car would be outside of the magical car that we see like how are the malfoys traveling yeah. with all their money do they use flu powder is there like a fancy like bubble that they use <laughs> a pumpkin perhaps yeah. but there's also like port keys and <laughs> right, like, right, there's right. other like ways to travel if you can't you know just teleport yourself and i think that's when i was reading this book i really like latched onto the fact that like even though we're in a magical world things aren't just like easy to do mm-hmm like, it doesn't automatically make your life easy. Like, it makes your life easier, but it doesn't automatically make your life easy. Yeah. And you still have to earn, like, the things that magic would help you with. And I just, I respect that. Which is good, because it goes back to what we were talking about last time, which is how it grounds the world and makes it feel very real mm-hmm. and lived in. And it's even like, and it's not, again, this is still book two. This is still, you know, the world building is still pretty, I don't want to say simple, but it's not, like, busy. It's not heavy-handed. No. It's nascent. But J.K. Rowling continues to introduce new things in a very, like, even-handed, like, just a very, very confident way that, you know, she knows she's not going to throw anyone off or, like, you know, introduce too much at once. It's always, like, just enough to, like, sort of continuously, like, dazzle you and intrigue you. Yeah. And that, that goes all the way down to, like, you know, like, flu powder, which is a very simple, like, how do we get to Diagon Alley this time? Well, let's do it differently than we did last book. How about this? How about yeah? <laughs> How about yeah? Continue, Tara. Flu powder, like you were just saying, Kelsey, not automatically easy. Just because it's magical doesn't mean that it like works perfectly every time. So all of the Weasleys are experts at using it because that's how they get around. So they all end up where they're supposed to. But Harry like coughs as he's trying to get through the chimney and uh, ends up 
in a different place. Uh-oh. Harry was trying to take the local and he got on the express, went oh all the way God. to Brooklyn. It's Ugh. no big deal. <laughs> Is that where we are now? Yeah. <laughs> Brooklyn jokes? Niche jokes. New York City transit jokes? <laughs> New York City transit jokes. <laughs> the MTA, am I right? If we can't joke about it, what can we do? <laughs> <laughs> Cry about it. Cry about you gotta it. laugh. You gotta laugh. You gotta laugh, though. Uh, so he ends up in uh, Durban and Bunks. What's the name of the store? Borgen and Burks. Borgen and Burks, which is like a creepy evil store full of creepy <laughs> evil creepy shit. Evil <laughs> Uh, anyway, he ends up in Nocturne Alley, which is like the sketchy part of the Wizarding Shopping District, I guess. Uh, and but it's like, also, I don't want to put out like just down the street from Diagon Alley, right? Like, yeah. It's really close. It's very yeah, close. Not hard to get to. The Red Light District and like the Main Street are like right up next to each other, essentially. Is it the Red Light District or is it like the Black Market? I feel like it's more the Black Market. I don't know that we ever get to visit the Red Light District, which is... I think you think the Wizarding Red Light District is like, what's it called? (laughs) (laughs) What alley is it? The Scarlet Lantern District. (laughs) I'm certain that we will see our good friend Newt Scamander pay that place a visit in one of the upcoming... Fantastic Beast films. You're probably not wrong. Yeah. You can sort of, you can sort of picture. You can sort of see it happening. I, think, right? I can that's, see Edward Main so being awkward in the oh, Wizard Red Light District. 100. That noise is my enthusiasm for the prospect. <laughs> and like the idea of like there being weird wizard fetishes, like for sex with other. There's a, there's a million ways for them to drop the ball on that. <laughs> is all I'm saying. And again, it is an idea that I propose basically. But yeah. how dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Oh, dare they indeed. So Harry realizes he's in like a sketchy place, hides in a cupboard when he hears people coming. Turns out that, oh my God, it's our good friend Draco Malfoy and his terrible dad who we meet for the first boo, time. Boo, boo. Lucius Malfoy. They are there to like sell some sketchy dark stuff that they have in their <laughs> mansion. <laughs> like You're not wrong. No, he's <laughs> like, uh, I've got to get rid of this. The ministry's doing raids. It would look bad. Um, yeah, man, because it is bad. Yeah, it's real bad. <laughs> it's like it's interesting how like obviously evil they are in such a way that it's like there's no nobody else seems to be like checking on this. <laughs> like, Harry doesn't like mention it to anybody. <laughs> he just like observes. It's like everyone knows that the Malfoys are evil, and we just don't talk about it. I'll touch on this later on in our in our yeah. run through, but I will say Lucius Malfoy's um, depiction is so evil that it ends up making me. It comes back around, makes me feel very bad for Draco. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. honestly, that it only gets worse in the books. Oh, for yeah. sure. Wait till we get to book six. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh. Anyway, so speaking of people <laughs> who need to be called child services, <laughs> the uh, the Malfoys finish up their business. <laughs> their weird, creepy business. <laughs> their creepy business. Um, Draco wants to buy a dismembered hand. You know. <laughs> so. Uh, and Harry sneaks out, and he's just about to be accosted by a hag when Hagrid spots him and brings him over into the sunshine of Diagon Alley. Then there's some shopping fun times. They meet Lockhart. They meet Lockhart. Gilderoy they go to the bookstore. Yeah. Oh, my God. We, we have brief glimpses of Hermione's parents who don't actually have any dialogue. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur just takes them for a drink. Very excited. <laughs> I'd love to hear that conversation, you know? Right. What did Arthur talk about, about these dentists? Because Arthur Weasley is like he's like head of Muggle Muggle studies, so like that's one of his big passions, right? Yeah, he's head of the misuse Muggle of relations. Muggle artifacts department, but he just likes Muggles. Yeah, so I'd love to hear his like him picking their brains about dentistry. Yeah, I think it's a lot of like, how does the subway work <laughs> or, or the, the tube? <laughs> the tube. Oh. 
So then we go book shopping. We meet Gilderoy Lockhart, the smuggest, smarmiest Defense Against the Dark teacher, dark arts teacher in... Magic Ryan Seacrest. In... As Jason put it. Yeah, that's a good description. Did you? I don't think I did. Who put it as Magic Ryan Seacrest? I read that somewhere. <laughs> I don't think of him as Magic Ryan Seacrest, though. I think of him as... Because he's a famous author. Yeah, but he's... Also fraud. a famous handsome boy. He's a famous... Oh, he's a famous, famous handsome boy. He's a famous boy. handsome boy, <laughs> author, fraud. Um, is... Wizard James Frey, too dated of a reference? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Not too dated for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tara. Taking it back to 2006. <laughs> anyway, he's the smuggest, smarmiest, like worst dude ever. I love him. <laughs> he is always funny. And here he is like already trying to be like, Harry, come on over. Be famous with me. Don't <laughs> let me help you out here. And like let me latch on to your actual Harry. fame. It's, a, it's great. He's such a, a scumbag. Yeah. But he's like a scumbag in a way that few people in the in the books thus far are scumbags, where yeah. it's like fun, yeah, and doesn't make you sad <laughs> the way like Snape or the Malfoys do. Yeah, I like. I think he's a fun like bad guy character in the sense that like his motives are like very self serving, but in a way that like he seems to be aware of, and he's not like he he doesn't think that he's like really trying to help the students. I don't think, and for the most part, doesn't hurt anybody. Directly well, in our in our in our story. I mean, he only rem- a little removes bit. all of the bones from Harry's arm. <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is pretty funny. It is. Uh, but yeah, he's, like, he's like bumbling and and like shitty in a self-absorbed way, and not in like a like you're not listening way, or like yeah. you're you're preventing us from saving the world way. Yeah. Well, if he is like the secondary sort of quote-unquote kind of bad guy in yeah. this book. And, and I mean, the number one villain is, not to jump ahead too much, a, a proponent of racial purity. <laughs> so, you know, Man Gilderoy Lockhart looks pretty good by comparison. It's all I'm true. saying. So I should, mm. when I say racial purity, I mean like magical, magical. racial purity. Uh, we're going to okay. talk about magic racism. Okay. Blood purity. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I, did, I jumped to the metaphor. I, 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 I tossed aside the metaphor. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that Voldemort is racist and magical, mugglist. I assume, is, it, do is there we a do, word for it? <laughs> do we touch on uh, Voldemort's feelings about like race? I don't think so, actually. He's probably racist, right? I assume so. He's like a really old British guy, so... He's a really old, <laughs> he's a really old British guy who, like, wanted to follow in the footsteps of, like, wizard Hitler. Yeah. So, probably, yeah. Probably. Oh. We'll, we'll get into that in more depth later. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to hold you up here. <laughs> no, that's okay. Just having fun exploring the nooks and crannies of the wizarding world. <laughs> we're, at, we're not even at school yet, and you know what? <laughs> Neither are Ron and Harry. <laughs> Uh, that was not a good transition. <laughs> anyway, we buy our books. Um, all, Arthur and Lucius get into a fight, yeah. which will become important later. Uh, and then we're back at the Weasleys for a little bit before everybody heads to Hogwarts. And we're at the train station. And oh no, Harry and Ron can't get through. What's going on? Oh no. All the Weasleys made it through the barrier, but Harry and Ron are waiting outside. They can't get to platform nine and three quarters. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, like 12-year-olds, they solved the problem (laughs) (laughs) by stealing a car, the flying car that they had come to the train station in. The Ford Anglia. The Ford Anglia. Yes. The turquoise Ford Anglia. I believe it is turquoise, yes. In my mind, it's vividly turquoise. (laughs) Uh, And also probably in the movies, I think. 
So they steal the car and they follow the train to Hogwarts and everything goes really well until they're just about there. And then I don't, it's unclear what really happens if they run out of gas or if the car gets tired because it's like sentient. Um, they, <laughs> it is. It, it is. <laughs> they crash the car into a tree that's called the Whomping Willow that basically pummels them and they hurt the tree and the car gets hurt and uh, Harry and Ron get popped out into the grounds of Hogwarts. And the car runs into the Forbidden Forest. This is to me like I want to just say this is like the funniest thing in the book so far because <laughs> the car has not really been treated as sentient to this point. Yeah. But then after they get out of the Whomping Willow's you know arms or whatever or uh, branches I guess. Yeah. Uh, the the Ford Anglia like shoots out their luggage and then drives away like as if it were like an animal running away <laughs> and Ron yells at it like you yell, you yell, yell at it, like a stray dog <laughs> and it's, I don't know something about that is so funny to me. It is. And uh, I just want to point that out because I love this car. <laughs> It's a very good car. It's got a lot of personality. It really does. It's like the the carpet in Aladdin, kind of. <laughs> but the car. Oh, what if they met, though? Oh, my God. They'd be friends. I they'd know. be friends. Hanging out in the forest. <laughs> no. I feel like the Aladdin magic carpet is, like, in a wizard museum somewhere, probably. Because it's really old, right? Because that's, like, long ago. Anyway, moving on. When does Aladdin take place? <laughs> I always thought, like, the 1940s, maybe. Think so. <laughs> <laughs> when does a when does a when does Aladdin take place? Wouldn't it be funny if like people set their staged versions of Aladdin in like forties Gangland Chicago? <laughs> the way they do with like Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's Aladdin. <laughs> it was an incomplete thought. Uh, <laughs> I think there's something to be mined from that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Harry and Ron have arrived. Uh, they get in a shitload of trouble because they solved this problem like twelve year olds. Um, McGonagall's like, why didn't you write us? You have an owl right there. And they're like, because we're 12 and we uh, thought we were being really clever. <laughs> uh, they get detention. They miss uh, Ginny Weasley, Ron's little sister, being sorted into Gryffindor. Uh, we haven't talked about Ginny yet, but maybe this is a moment to mention that she's in the book. Ginny's in the book and, and will become important. Yeah. Which I assume if you're listening to this, you know. <laughs> she, she, she appears briefly with, I think, no dialogue in book one mm -hmm. at the train station. Mm -hmm. And this book, she sort of is more present as a character because it's her first year at Hogwarts. Yeah. And what a year it is. And she has a big old crush on Harry. Yep. Which but. is great, all things considered. All things considered. It's very appropriate that that happens, that begins here. Did you feel weird about that? Yeah, I, so again, sort of breaking this down for a second, I do know certain plot elements of the book. Like yeah. the fact that Ginny and Harry get married. Yeah. It's really weird to watch these kids all interact with each other when they're like 11 and 12 years old, knowing yeah. that they're going to be married and have kids. Yeah, that's a weird reverse of where I was coming from when I read the book and when I reread the book a lot. Um, as Like before it was like canon, I was a Harry Ginny shipper. Same. Um, Correct. We haven't talked about it yet, but I was like very into fan fiction in my like middle school, early high school years before I Same. like started doing things outside of the house. I may have written an epistolary love fanfic between Harry and Ginny <gasps> during the long, long stretch of waiting for book five. <laughs> Um, so you're like OG Harry and Ginny Shipper like I was. And like OG pre, pre them actually getting together. Oh yeah, for sure. Totally. <laughs> I wanted uh Ron and Hermione and I wanted Harry and Ginny. That is correct. Way before both of them actually happened. So I felt that is correct. great about them actually happening <laughs> when they did. Harry Hermione Shippers don't interact. Um so it's really funny. So from that perspective we're like like during those like gaps where I had nothing to keep me entertained in Harry Potter and I was like writing my own stuff and reading a lot of fan fiction, like all of the like 
canon Ginny moments that we had, like that she puts her elbow in a butter dish, like so vivid in my brain. <laughs> and I'm like, like, these are nothing actually in the context of the book. But, but you're like, going back and like analyzing every little thing the way that shippers do. Exactly. <laughs> so Especially when it's like someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, content. Yeah, exactly. And then you get the fifth book where she comes back as like, her like woman it's amazing i know she's like a person you're like oh fine i was like hoping she'd be a person because like that that is gonna happen yeah okay yeah i feel they they feel didn't do that. it in the movies so, which makes it bad yeah <laughs> but, but she becomes like more of a character for sure um yeah and i think because Ginny wasn't a person for the first four books yeah. i like she was like a little bit of like a cipher for me because I don't really identify with Hermione very much. And there's like such a dearth of female characters. And I was like, maybe I'm a Ginny. Yeah. We don't know very much about her. I could be a Ginny. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. And then the fifth book came out and I wanted to be a Luna, but I don't know if I'm that weird. Tara, do you feel like you got your Harry? I <laughs> do feel like that. I don't know why I answered that so weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> I love no, my husband very much. Yeah. I don't know if he's a Harry, though. I might be a Ginny, but I don't think he's a Harry. Mm. He's Interesting. A, he's his own man. We're going to put a pin in this also for, for book five. <laughs> <laughs> then what happens? School starts. It's sort of just school for a little bit. Yeah. We see Gildor Lockhart as a teacher. He is bad at it. He's very bad at it. Uh, we, meet, we, meet, we meet Colin Creevy. Oh, oh Colin. Colin. <laughs> Colin's great because it sort of allows another, um, as Kelsey, you very, very, very intelligently you know, pointed out last time, all the foils in these books. Mm -hmm. And Lockhart and Colin Creevy are both foils for Harriet once again. Yeah. New foils sort of, I think, examine the idea of fame in sort of a, not in-depth way, but in sort of a way that more illuminates, you know, the way Harry exists in this world. Because, you know, Gilderoy Lockhart is like a guy who's really done nothing, but so wants to be famous. Uh, whereas Harry is... Uh, Kid still hasn't really done very much. But I mean, he did, I guess he did sort of beat Voldemort once already. Or twice, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's always trying to do the right thing, and, yeah. but very much does not want to be famous, which we know because Colin is obsessed with Harry <laughs> and follows him around for the entire book. And Harry just cannot deal with this kid in the slightest. Colin's adorable, though. I like him. <laughs> I like Colin, too, even though he's, like, really, like, beyond grading to Harry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Harry just hates him. <laughs> he's, like, a whole, like, sub-antagonist. <laughs> like, he's not evil, but, like, he might as well be if you're 12 and somebody's bothering you that yeah. much. I feel like I feel like characters like Colin and, and some other characters in later books, like, really are, like, the most real, like, preteen teenage boy we get from Harry. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, Colin's, like, an annoying, like, you know, younger kid who's like, I just don't want to fucking talk to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that was interesting for me, like, revisiting the book was that I sort of... Um, like with a little bit of distance from the series in my mind, Harry has had less of a personality than he actually does in the books, but he's like, he's like annoyed about stuff a lot. <laughs> like people are sassy. People are always like bugging him and he's got all these like smart remarks. And I'm like, oh yeah, like this is why I loved and related to this character <laughs> so much as a kid. Like he's not just like, I wasn't just pouring myself into him. He's like a, yeah. a person. No, yeah. I think that uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, on last time. Like the fact that he's not like a, like a blank like every man character mm -hmm. is really helpful. And, and and we were talking about in the context of like, he already has a backstory that everyone else knows, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, I also think in the fact that he's like, he has feelings about things mm -hmm. and like, he is, he's pretty sassy. Yeah. Yeah. That like said, Harry has a very dry, sarcastic wit. He does. <laughs> that being said, I do think Harry, there is plenty of room in there for you to pour yourself into. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I think I just, I 
sort of overestimated how yeah. much of that there was like with distance from the series and then looking at the actual text again i was like yeah this guy my buddy <laughs> yeah he's back he's, he's serving up real attitude no need to call me sir professor he's back and he's 12 <laughs> <laughs> he's back and he's 12 that should have been the tagline for harry potter um and the chamber of secrets the movie he's back and he's 12 <laughs> <laughs> so school happens for a while Yep, there's, there's a de- quidditch. There's a detention that they have to serve yeah. from running the car into the tree. Um, Harry finds out about wizard racism. Yeah, he does. Yeah, because Draco calls Hermione a mudblood. Mm-hmm. Can I say that? I, yeah, I think Can I so. Say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm not comfortable with it. Ooh, yikes! Um, basically, and this is the first time we're getting this in the in the books, and it becomes mm-hmm. pretty important as time goes on. This idea that so. Because you wanted to break this down a little bit, but the way yeah. the way a person is born with magic is sort of uh, gets a little bit more explained in this book. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about this a little bit because I have questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. So like we talk about um like Muggleborns and purebloods and stuff and like halfbloods, um, which like halfbloods are confusing because like Harry's a halfblood because one of his parents is a Muggleborn and one of his parents is a wizard, but like. Seamus Finnegan is also a half-blood, even though one of his parents is a wizard and one of his parents is a muggle. <laughs> but both parents were wizards, just one yeah. of them was born of muggles. Yes. Right. So it's, that confused <laughs> me. So we know that wizards can be born of muggles. Mm-hmm. And we know that pure-blood wizards can have non-magic kids, mm-hmm. although it seems to happen less. Yeah. <laughs> And that, like, if a wizard and a muggle get together, they can have a magic kid. Can they also have, like, is the chance of them having a magic kid higher or is it lower? <laughs> can, can there be families where you have some magic kids and some non, non, non-magic kids? Well, I mean, Lily Potter, her sister but, like, they is have non-magic. one wizard parent. I don't know. I just, I, I think the idea of magic as a gene is something that hasn't been mined and I would like to explore it more, but I just want to put that out there because I think it's not well explained. No, it's definitely, the, it, like, it does seem very loosely like a sort of genetic, like dominant recessive gene yeah. situation, but you, that's a good point. They, they, the fact that you can be a half blood in so many different ways is pretty confusing. Yeah. I imagine it makes being a wizard racist a little bit difficult. Probably, yeah. Like, it's who are you supposed to hate the most? Mm. Muggles, I guess? But then beyond that, like, yeah. you know. The Malfoys are supposed to be like, you know, they're be a pure bloods, which means every single person that lineage has been a wizard, which I find pretty hard to believe, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yeah, I think Ron at one point makes a comment of like, well, we would have died out if like yeah. wizards hadn't intermarried <laughs> with muggles. Yeah. So like, it seems like such a weird so if you're, purity standard. If you're a pure blood, you're probably either super intermarried <laughs> or, you know, there's a muggle somewhere down the line or like a... a some a muggle born somewhere down mm-hmm. the line mm-hmm. <laughs> probably like in like an old aristocratic family there's like a stable hand or a, a servant <laughs> lady somewhere <laughs> down the line you know but yeah i think the wizard the wizard racism as we call it <laughs> is interesting you have some thoughts i find it a bit troubling uh not as a plot point it, i think it works fine as a plot point itself but it is as an allegory, I don't think it holds up because, and Kelsey, you point out these are at this point still very much children's books, so a fully developed allegory for racism is not going to be deployed at this point. <laughs> but uh, if, you ha- if you're doing an allegory for racism, which it clearly is, mm-hmm. you can't have one of the groups involved be like objectively better than the other group in some way because magic using is like, that's a thing that there's no real drawback to it. 
if you have it, it just you have access to a whole realm of the world that other people don't have access to, which makes you like super powered, like it, actually super powered though. Is it more like classism? Well, no, but the thing is, like, none of that really works. Is like it's the wizards are, in my view, inherently superior in some way to muggles. I don't know. They have, they have they can do magic. <laughs> right. Okay. They can do magic, but like they're also kind of idiots. Like. Like, muggles have to, like, figure out how to work within the natural world to make things happen, like telephones or subway lines or transportation, whereas wizards are just, like, snapping their fingers and, like, having access to all of this power. And so... Wizards are, like, 50 years behind in technology. Right. And I would argue that that makes them, like, like, maybe not inherently lazy, but, like, (laughs) if I could just, like, wave my wand and make breakfast, I wouldn't, like, like, develop a whole cuisine. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's an argument to be made for like muggles doing it for themselves and wizards, you know, having kind of an easier lot in life. And I would definitely love to be a wizard. Um, but I don't know that wizards are inherently better than muggles. I feel like that's you playing into, uh, you know, a little bit of Voldemort's rhetoric. Well, fired. (laughs) I, I did not, as I promised I would, I did not actually take the test the 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 house test between episodes so i may be oh, a slytherin yeah. it turns out oh gosh oh i did that i took uh i took the whole test oh, questions test yeah what'd you get okay uh i got it was surprising to me i got slightly more gryffindor and then ravenclaw and then <laughs> hufflepuff and then slytherin but they were all like in the 50s yeah. really? during like the breakdown and yeah. for the past few years because of taking the non so okay it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> i think that um Like, right now in my life, I kind of self-identify as a Slytherin just because I feel like I'm in a very, like, ambitious, striving part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was, like, in high school, college, I might have, like, secretly identified as a Gryffindor, but I feel like you're not supposed to say that you identify as a Gryffindor because, because, like, that's kind of braggy. (laughs) Because that's the hero house. The hero house. Exactly. Slytherin is, like, the evil racist villain house. Gryffindor is the hero's house. Right. But I felt like I made, like, a lot of bold choices during that period <laughs> of my life. And, like, I was doing a lot of, like, brave things, like, going off to other countries and making new friends and, like, trying stuff out. And I feel like now I'm in a different period of my life where there's less, like, adventuring and more, like, striving. So, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot because I knew that I was coming on here <laughs> and really the test. And when I took the, the first Pottermore test for the first time, I got Slytherin and was, like, very surprised. And, like, sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm a Hufflepuff. But, like, I don't know. I just have one more thing to add to as a rebuttal to the earlier conversation yeah, yep. then we can move on from an evolutionary point of view oh god <laughs> if if a muggle and a wizard are in the you know the pleistocene past facing down i don't know a, the the saber-toothed tiger or whatever running at you is the muggle going to survive or is the person who can teleport at will across the world going to survive <laughs> well do they know how to teleport can they teleport under stress without like leaving their arm behind and like losing like, the arm is is like is, is that, that that's a win though because you're not getting eaten <laughs> also like yeah, but then you don't have an if you arm. have magic you could create like a force field around you or something you know you that could, that's that, that this is my point though but you could save the muggle that that's that's not an issue that's not, that's not an issue this it's not the moment. trolley problem no it's not the trolley problem <laughs> i think that the tools that the muggle has are more fail-proof in the sense that maybe the muggle has a spear to like you know throw at the plesiosaurus what you said um or the muggle's got feet that can run away (laughs) a mammoth i I don't know muggles have had to learn how to live in the world whereas wizards have had to have asked the world to adapt around them Mm. i just think it's different (laughs) okay muggles versus wizard war who's gonna win 
I think maybe muggles. Well, I guess do wizards have the bomb? Do wizards have guns? Like <laughs> they have wands. They have a spell that can kill like in an instant. Yeah, but like I don't know, they have to like pronounce it correctly. They have to have a working wand. As we see, wands are very sensitive in this book, we learn. You have to learn how to use a gun. You can't just like pick up a gun and use it right away. I think the more moving on from this, I think the more <laughs> as like a uh, nuanced uh racism allegory is actually like within the wizarding world. And when you see, like, wizards versus, like, other magical sentient mm. beings who have their own kinds of magic that is just as powerful, but, but it's very different. So, like, goblins and house elves and uh, centaurs mm-hmm. and, like, you know, all all beings that the wizards can interact with in the same way they all speak and they all, like, have the same sort of brain, I guess, <laughs> um, but have different kind of magic. They use magic differently and are, as we'll see in later books, looked down upon by by wizards mm. um and i think that's really where the the better allegory is yeah i would agree with you there um i think the takeaway from the blood conversation for like a child because yeah. these are children's books <laughs> uh is like don't judge people by where they come from and their families which is like a nice lesson for a kid that, to take away yes, and then that, i think if you do want to get like as you were just saying kelsey i totally agree that the the i guess actual races or like species yeah of the wizarding world or maybe a more like nuanced metaphor if they are anyway anyway so we're at school <laughs> and cool. harry's 12 now and, and uh, <laughs> no, we're backtracking we're moving backwards okay he's still 12 yeah uh ron's wand has been broken uh which was another thing that we didn't mention that's kind of a recurring theme throughout the uh the book uh which i think is really interesting um just because like nobody helps him (laughs) and it's so dangerous right like you're right (laughs) like it's so it's extremely dangerous it's like causing him to fall behind in his schoolwork he like can't participate in classes he like makes himself sick at one point he like basically kills a guy i mean doesn't kill a guy but like destroys a man's mind to jump ahead (laughs) with this thing to be fair gilderoy did that himself yeah, but like, well, also crushing them with like a bunch of rocks. <laughs> like, they could have both been killed because of Ron's shitty wand. Shitty wand. I'm just like, doesn't Hogwarts have like, you know, just like one spare? Just, just like, like a one. spare somewhere. Like, they're, you know, stored textbooks. <laughs> yeah. That like, t- I know there's no tuition to Hogwarts, but like, surely. 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 Wait. That also like ties into like, why do they have to buy the books? Why do they have to buy the uniforms? I have a big question about why they have why the Weasleys buy all <laughs> seven of of Gilderoy Lockhart's books for all of them. It's like surely they can share. One, there are twins. They're in the same year. <laughs> they do everything together. Hogwarts as a school probably needs some some help. We should you know go in there and whip them into shape. I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about this. There's no tuition to Hogwarts. How do they pay for all that stuff? Like robes and like well, I guess people pay for them. I'm assuming that it's like a tax funded. The food. Well, we'll learn about the food later. Yeah, you'll learn about the food. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Although I guess that doesn't pay for like the actual food. That's just the people making the food. Well, but there's all sorts of, like. I know who makes the food. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ahead. Of, I'm a little bit ahead of the okay. books. <laughs> like, where's the food come from? Because you can't conjure food. That's one of the laws. Is it the Muggle world? Is there a wizarding farming community that we haven't heard about? See, this is all very interesting. Yeah, the <laughs> economics of the wizard world. Oh, and that's the book I want to read. Any <laughs> of this, even wizard freakonomics, would be <laughs> a better expansion of the universe than Fantastic Beasts and your, Where to Find Them. Is that your pitch? Yeah, wizard, wizard freakonomics. freakonomics. My pitch is anything except for Fantastic <laughs> Beasts and Where to Find Them. Starring Newt Scamander. 
Jesus. Uh, we should probably get into the main narrative of the book. Yes. We have, we have sort of approached <laughs> it very gingerly. I'm so sorry. So let's take a leap forward, Tara, if, if, if we may, to... Why don't you finish up? The Chamber yeah. of Secrets opens up. Uh-oh. Well, what does that mean? So basically, uh, Filch's cat gets petrified, and there's a note on the wall that says, Enemies of the air, beware. The, the, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened. And everyone's like, what does that mean? And Harry is like, let's find out what it means. And Hermione's like, I'm going to find out what it means basically all by myself. And Ron's like, okay. <laughs> I love Ron. <laughs> Does anyone want to fill in the actual mythology of the Chamber of Secrets? Because I don't really remember uh, The it. Chamber of Secrets was built, was, as legend would have it, was built by Salazar Slytherin, the found, one of the four founders of Hogwarts and the founder of Slytherin House. I don't remember why he built it, but... He built it, I think, because he felt like the other four, three heirs weren't being, like, selective enough, and they were, like, letting in mudbloods and half-bloods. Yeah. So he, like, wanted to have, like, an ultra-exclusive the original wizard race slash club for his pure-blood buddies. And he put a big old snake in there. Mm-hmm. This guy is one of the four founders of Hogwarts, and his three buddies didn't notice he was an wizard racist off the bat he I built think... a death chamber and put an evil monster in it i get granted they can't find the monster that's the whole thing it's like no one's ever found the chamber of secrets mm-hmm. but that's like your dude you're like, your there's, dude. you're like four guys and one of you like that's 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 george harrison you tell me if george harrison was evil the other beetles wouldn't have noticed it i don't know that i would pick george harrison to be the evil beetle also isn't ringo the evil beetle i would say john lennon because he hit his wife a bunch well they first wife they mm. they all did except for yeah. george harrison so i that was probably an ironic pick for that reason <laughs> in, in the saddest way but uh to get back to what you're saying about the founders is it was also like medieval times or, yeah. before, or before so i don't know that like racism was on their radar i think that was like a fairly widely held belief that just the other three didn't hold i guess yeah who knows because they kicked him out and that's when he built the chamber they kept his house, though. They kicked him out, but they kept his house. I mean, they got yeah. they got to put the evil kid somewhere. I Again, guess. why are you letting the evil <laughs> kid into the school? Kids. <laughs> the ambitious kids. Tara, the clever and ambitious kids. These are evil children. <laughs> if Damien from the Omen was a wizard, which, come to think of it, he probably was, he would have been in Slytherin House. Yeah, That's and he would have game. had a lot of little Slytherin friends. So yeah, Chamber of Secrets opens. People keep getting petrified, so they're like frozen, but they're not dead. Um, mostly, um, Muggleborns and a cat and a ghost. And a, and a ghost. <laughs> so like three Muggleborns. Three Muggleborns, a cat, and a ghost. <laughs> Do we know if Penelope Clearwater's a Muggleborn? Yeah, they okay. say it at yeah. some point. All right, I'm pretty sure. Ron and Harry and Hermione believe that Draco is the heir of Slytherin, and he, that he's opened up this this chamber, mm-hmm. and so they go on a very like really like entertaining but not super consequential subplot <laughs> where they have to like. Mission Impossible, their faces into Draco's <laughs> friends. So they can sneak in and like spy on him. Yeah. And they find out, no, he's not the heir. Yeah. Um, that was another whoops. use of like good 12 year old logic for me <laughs> yeah. in the book where I was like, as an adult reading, I was like, you dumb kids. Like, just because he's the kid you don't like, like, yeah. he's not. He doesn't seem like he's not like Hermione level intelligent at, at any point. <laughs> but I mean, you know if I mean? you look at the rest of the books, they use that same logic quite a lot. Oh, I know it's so funny. They're like, it, but it works Draco, so well. It's but it works be Draco so, this time. It works so well when you get to the sixth book, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they make a really hard potion. They do it in a bathroom. In the bathroom, they meet another ghost called Moaning Myrtle, one of my favorite characters. Love her. After they determine that Draco is not, in fact, the heir of Slytherin, they find a diary. That was hastily flushed down Moaning Myrtle's toilet. 
Uh, she's very upset about that. And they can't figure out, there's nothing written in the diary, but they know it's an old book and they can't figure out exactly what's going on with it. It also has a name on it and the name is Tom Marvolo Riddle, <laughs> which is the name of a trophy that Ron had to polish um, a lot during his detention for the Whomping Willow. So there's a fun tie back there. But she seeds so much stuff in these books. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Mm-hmm. She's such a great writer. Uh, which you forget, and then you read them again, and you're like, holy shit, this is why. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> this book, the plot construction really sticks out to me, too, because it does the thing that the first book does, again, where, like, sort of unrelated incidents happen, but then they sort of, even if they seem to be completely unrelated, they sort of feed back into the main plot, which is very, like, you know, not unconventional, but sort of interesting the way it happens. That's about, It's, like, both episodic and also not, so you're never even, like, you're never too far from moving the story forward. Yeah. And also everything that's, like, like you said, seated in this book pays off so wonderfully with the, with the ending, which we'll get to when it happens. But like, yeah, everything with the diary, the Myrtle being a ghost, so many elements come back into play within the final reveal. I think it's so brilliantly done. Um, but sorry, go on. Yeah, I feel like there's just not an ounce of fat in this book. Everything is useful, but it's done in such an elegant way that you don't you're not seeing the seams necessarily. Yeah, even and, and even elements like Dobby who could have been the most annoying character of all time. Kind of, it's still annoying. I mean, there's an argument for that. <laughs> he's, he's, annoying. he's annoying, but he's and his presence is very important to the book and like is very much felt throughout the book because he's always doing stuff. But he only really shows up like three times. Mm-hmm. So you can't really... And the way he speaks is very obnoxious and he's just sort of a lot to be around because he's always hitting himself. <laughs> but you never really get like sick of him. Because he, he sort of is like a Jar Jar Binks-ish character. Uh, predating Jar Jar Binks by a full year though, so... Kudos to you, JK. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you never really, it never goes so far that you, like, wish he would die. <laughs> so I think that, that that's that's an accomplishment. Yeah. Because it's easy to go, you know, full Jar Jar Binks, you know, for example. <laughs> so they find a diary. It takes them a little while to figure out how to work it, but eventually Harry spills some ink on it, notices that the diary pages don't have any ink on it, so he tries writing in it. Oh, my God. And the diary writes back, which is like so fucking cool. <laughs> I love this book. If you had gotten a diary that wrote back, would you have written into it? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Definitely, I would have pulled a Ginny hard. You are a Ginny. So hard. You're such a Ginny. So like, hard. If I were twelve and a boy didn't like me, and then like a diary boy was like, "Oh, honey, I know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. Like cat. Ginny's I, just an eleven-year-old girl. We all get it. I mean, <laughs> this is my new boyfriend. The diary. <laughs> the diary. I would definitely have had a crush on the diary. Tom cares about me. <laughs> Unlike any of these people. <sighs> Tom Marvolo Riddle. Totally normal. Not evil name whatsoever. <laughs> So the diary, Tom, uh, explains to Harry, oh my God, I was there the last time the Chamber of Secrets opened. What a coincidence that you're writing in me. Here, let me show you. (laughs) It's kind of a goofy conceit, but he like pulls Harry into the diaries and like shows him his memory of catching the person who opened the chamber and released the monster the last time. And shocker, that person's Hagrid. And Harry's like, what? That's my friend Hagrid no way so he and ron are like we're gonna go talk to haggard about this and they arrive at his hut just in time to meet cornelius fudge by meet i mean they're in an invisibility cloak so nobody knows they're there (laughs) except for haggard uh and and, dumbledore and dumbledore and we watch uh haggard get taken away to azkaban the first time we learn (laughs) about about that place which when we read in this book is it feels like oh no haggard's getting taken away but then you like find out later on what azkaban is like like, fuck (laughs) and, and it's like 
takes on a new meaning. Yeah. yeah, it's like extremely dark. Yeah, it is, it is very, it's a bad situation Hagrid, Hagrid lands in. I feel like there's only one prison in the <laughs> Wizarding World. That we know of. In in England, in, in the yeah. British Isles. <laughs> there's, there's definitely another one that they talk about when they get to the Grindelwald stuff. But One would hope that like incarceration rates are not so high in the Wizarding World that they would need more than one. It's a much smaller world. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, right, so Hagrid gets taken away. Uh, he gives Harry and Ron like a dire cryptic warning because he knows that they're there and nobody else does. And he's like, follow the spiders. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ron's terrified of spiders. And Harry's like, what the fuck like does that mean? Like a normal person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ron is very relatable in this moment. Uh, eventually, they do find some spiders to follow. They go to the Forbidden Forest at night. They meet Aragog, the giant spider that Hagrid was raising as a young teen boy in the castle. <laughs> Uh, Aragog is not the monster from the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, Though he is, and this is worth pointing out, really scary. Really oh, scary. He's terrifying. <laughs> he's a giant spider. Uh, he... And he's surrounded by other giant spiders. He's surrounded yes. by other giant other spiders. slightly smaller spiders. <laughs> that Hagrid helped create by finding him a wife. Because <laughs> Hagrid's insane. Oh no, Hagrid just really loves. He's just got a really big heart <laughs> for all of the animals of the all world. All the living creatures of the world. Exactly. <laughs> Hagrid is a devoted Christian and he cares for all of God's creatures. Uh, Aragog, by the way, then also almost kills Ron and Harry. So yeah. good advice, Hagrid. Yeah, he uh, he's like, listen, I'm not going to hurt you because Hagrid is my friend. But I have all these children and they would like to eat you. So... so... And then they are rescued by the car, which yes. has been living fairly in the woods for months. <laughs> and it's like the best reveal. The wild car. It's got like streaks of mud on it. Like it's really gone native. It carries them out of the woods and then like... Ron like tenderly pats it on the hood before it drives back away into the woods. It's amazing. It is the whole world of the book has completely bought into this idea that the car is alive, and it's fantastic. Yep, and he and the car and Ron have a bond. <laughs> <laughs> They're like they have an understanding. Uh, Hagrid is innocent, but they haven't been able to prove it yet. So they're kind of back to square zero. They also took Dumbledore away. They also take Dumbledore away. Lucius Malfoy comes back. Yeah. Lucius Malfoy influenced the board of. Governors. Governors. governors, governors to, yeah. to force uh, the retirement of, of Dumbledore. Yep. And so McGonagall becomes like the interim headmaster. Everything seems very bleak. They're worried that the school's going to get shut down. They So they have to put on a show to save the camp. <laughs> <laughs> and then... This is the point where Hermione has her like breakthrough and figures out exactly what's been going on, but then gets petrified. Um, here's what happens. is They realize <laughs> that a girl died in a bathroom and yeah. they're like, Oh shit, we know a ghost that lives in a bathroom. Yeah. Maybe she can tell us something about what happened 50 years ago. Yeah. And the fact that the adults have not figured this out and gone to her <laughs> is wild. Yeah. None of these adults are doing anything. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out how to go talk to Myrtle and they're sneaking away and they get caught and they're like, oh, because there's just... a curfew and they're not allowed to be out unaccompanied. Yeah. And they're like, we <sighs> just wanted to see our friend Hermione. And then McGonagall like gets teary eyed and is oh, like, oh, children, of course. you love your friend so much. <laughs> it's like such a good ruse. Yeah. So they go visit Hermione. They notice a piece of paper in her hand. Which uh, again, no one else <laughs> for the days weeks perhaps weeks I yeah think. i feel like it's that weeks. she's been laid up there by the way a lot of these kids miss basically the entire school year yeah because this basilisk run around sorry spoilers there's a basilisk <laughs> running around tara please continue uh so the paper that they find in hermione's hand says this is what a basilisk is <laughs> yeah. it's a giant snake and it's afraid of roosters and oh my god all the roosters on campus have been killed and a bunch of other like details that play into other parts of the plot and uh underneath she's written the word pipes and then harry's like 
oh shit, it's a snake going through the pipes and that's why I'm hearing all these disembodied voices and it all makes sense and we should go to the bathroom because pipes and Myrtle and the snake and blah. And they do that and they talk to Myrtle. And they do that, they talk to Myrtle. They bring Lockhart, no, I think, at that point. Later, but yeah. No, I think it, it all goes very fast. Because they, they bring... Mer- they talk to Myrtle, then they leave to go tell McGonagall, I mm. believe, or like they go t- to go tell someone. Because we mentioned that we found out that Myrtle was the girl who died fifty years ago. Oh, yeah. right, and that's when they find out that Ginny has been taken to the yeah, chamber. Yeah, and when they're of going secrets. to tell someone, because ah. they hide in like the teachers' lounge, and they like announce that everyone has to go back to their dorms, and they overhear that Ginny. Ginny has been take, taken into the chamber. A child has been taken and she, by her, a snake. Her body Ow. will rot there forever. It's very bleak. Yes. <laughs> Grim. Because she, she stole the diary back from Harry and it's a whole thing. Well, we don't know about the diary yet. We know, that his yeah. di- we know the diary has gone missing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so they're like, that okay. That revealed. So they trick Lockhart into going with them. And well, no, trick. Well, no. Snape says Lockhart. This is the best you, note yeah. of the whole book. <laughs> you told us, he's, he's like, you spent this whole time telling us all about your exploits. You should go save the girl. <laughs> and then McGonagall's like, yes, Gilderoy, you should go save her. And Gilderoy's like, I will. Just let me walk off screen for five minutes and I'll be right back. And so Ron and Harry follow him to the office. I don't mean to take over Tara, but I no, just No, 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 you're being more <laughs> accurate than I was. And they get there and Gilderoy's like, packing up his shit like he's ready to skip town they're like what are you doing he's like uh i'm actually a con man i never did any of that stuff i just stole people's stories like the shooter from uh, secret window and i <laughs> memory charmed them so uh i'm a fraud and i can't do anything i'm a fraud who's really good at memory charm. and then what happens like ron and harry are like no you're coming down here with us basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they disarm him and they take his wand and they're like you are our captive now um and they which bring badass. they bring him to the bathroom harry figures out how to open the chamber which is actually like pretty easy if you're a parcel tongue yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're just like open up and then the pipes are like okay <laughs> he's talking snake so they go down into the chamber uh lockhart and the wand lockhart this... steals ron's wand and is like, like i'm going to i'm gonna go tell him me- memory charm you, you. All, you all died and trying to heroically save him and i couldn't save you and all this stuff i'm gonna memory charm you but he's using ron's wand so it blows up. <laughs> so it blows up the whole thing, and the memory charm backfires on him, so he doesn't know who he is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of rocks separate Ron and Harry, so Harry has to move forward into the chamber alone without his companion Ron, without his adult supervisor, Gilderoy <laughs> Lockhart. And you're um, nine years old, you're reading this on a playground, and you're like, let's go. Yeah. It's- <laughs> It's go. pretty good. 40 pages left. I can do that in 10 minutes. Let's do this. Let's do it. <laughs> that was my experience on uh, on Sunday, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Harry goes deeper into the chamber. He finds Jenny's body, and he finds a shadowy spectral figure of Tom Riddle. Oh, my God. What are you doing here, buddy? You've been dead <laughs> for years, maybe. Um, turns out that Tom Marvolo Riddle is an anagram for I am Lord Voldemort when Voldemort... What? What? <laughs> Voldemort? Voldemort. It is us. <laughs> Lord, Lord Voldemort? I do. I know. I really think this is, again, what I was saying earlier is a great reveal. And it's great. I think it's, a, I've, you know, it's great. It's a great way to pull, you know, to sell kids on the idea of reading books, basically, in long form fiction. Because it's like, oh, you can, like, plant things and have a big, exciting, dramatic reveal. And it's, like, mind blowing. It's, like, it freaks your whole being. <laughs> um, because at this point, like, we don't know the book's going to be about Voldemort coming back, basically each book. Yeah. So that's, like, a real, like, you don't know that Tom 
Tom uh, Riddle is going to be Voldemort. Like, there's no like, there's no real reason to guess that because it's such a weird, convoluted setup for how he does it. Mm-hmm. Would you like to explain the actual mm-hmm. mechanics of the the diary, Tara? Because I think you'll do better than I will. Oh sure. So when Voldemort was a student at Hogwarts and was just uh, regular Tom old Riddle. He put his memory into this diary, which we'll learn a lot more about later. But for now, this is what we know. We know mm-hmm. that he he wanted to preserve this time in his life, and he thought that his knowledge would be useful. So he put his memory into this diary um, and his essence kind of into the diary. So as Ginny was writing and pouring her little 11-year-old heart out to him, he was kind of like sucking up her soul and becoming stronger to the point where he could possess her and she's been doing all of the sketchy bad chamber of secrets stuff all year she's been writing the things on the walls and killing the roosters which is like pretty fucked up from, yeah. yeah like if i from i also would like to talk about Ginny's unaddressed trauma yeah for but sure we, we get a good moment Ginny has a bad first year she let's, does. let's put it out there really bad first year yeah so he's been basically possessing her all year and making her do this and the final act was to bring her down to the chamber and kind of kill her and by taking her life force because sort of i don't know what his plan was after like he lets the snake out it's not clear like is he just gonna go walking around living as tom riddle as, as i remember it his plan is essentially so 50 years ago his plan was to let loose the basilisk to kill all the the, the muggleborns basically mm-hmm. He's, it's all about wizard racial purity uh but that got you know screwed up when the girl died morning myrtle died so he had like he's like there's too much heat i gotta pin this on somebody and get out of here gotta scram. <laughs> so he pins, he pins it on a hagrid man hagrid takes the fall I mean, it was like the 40s. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's how they talked. That's how they all talked back then. Chomping um, on cigars, see? And now he's back again. And his plan was originally to possess Ginny in order to like let loose the basilisk to kill all the mudbloods or all the muggles, borns, whatever, again. Uh, but then he found out that his future self was killed by Harry Potter. So now his plan is just to kill Harry. Yes. So he's, right. he's not thought anywhere Tom beyond Riddle this. Tom Riddle is a petty bitch. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> Who loves drama, and you, I am living for it. I mean, it. he is a drama hoe. <laughs> if you were a quasi-sentiment, sentient diary of your teenage self, and you found out that somebody killed your now self, oh. you would oh, want to meet yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. I would. I would. I would. I would want to kill them. Yeah, I would absolutely want to kill them. No, are you kidding me? I never really considered it, but wow. Yeah, you just got to put yourself in Tom Riddle's shoes. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> See, that's what I'm talking about. Mood. Uh, anyway, Maybe I am a Slytherin. Once we <laughs> once we find out all of these plot details, uh, Tom attacks Harry. They have a fight. Uh, Harry, in a moment of need, talks about how Dumbledore is like so much stronger and better than this chump will ever be. And Dumbledore's pet Phoenix, who we met earlier in the book but did not uh, talk about, <laughs> appears in the chamber magically and uh, with, with the sorting hat. hat. With the sorting hat, uh, and he, he's like a bird in a hat. Great. <laughs> D- great Dumbledore sent you a bird and a hat. <laughs> Which, I mean, point to Tom. Like, yeah. It probably looks pretty dumb when it first shows up. <laughs> in a mortal Whatever, bird you're a and a ghost, magic hat. You're a ghost from a diary. Yeah. You're not even really a ghost. You're like just a magic diary. Yeah. You're like a hologram. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. Tupac, man, at Coachella. It's an, an immortal bird and a magic hat. Yeah. So, <laughs> looking pretty good. Anyway, they fight. And the hat gives him a sword. The hat gives him a sword. Well, the bird immediately blinds the basilisk, which when yeah. I was nine was like some wild shit. Yeah. Like this is this is this is brutal. Which means he can look at it now. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that's the thing, the basilisk kills people by looking at them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Turning them into stone with yeah. its eyes. <laughs> or if you're a ghost just making you go all black and like float there with like stink lines hovering over you because he can't <laughs> die yeah and they also never address how uh the ghost gets better 
The same as everybody. You mandrake can't, root. You can't eat the mandrake root, though. No, but I don't think they eat it. I think maybe it's like a... Like you put it on them. <laughs> I, was I, was like like, I was imagining like a topical self because I they're petrified. Like How are tea. they drinking? He has, like no, a... he has no. Yeah, but like if you're petrified, you can't like do throat muscles to drink. Hmm. Well, if you're a ghost, you can't receive a topical balm either. <laughs> you have no skin. You have no physical form. Maybe it's a powder that's sprinkled. <laughs> I was imagining it's somehow topical. Look, let's anyway. just say it's, it's magic, okay? It's, it's magic. magic. It's, it's all it's magic. magic. It's magic. A wizard did it, literally. Right. Phoenix blinds the basilisk. Harry and Tom fight. Harry eventually drives his sword through the basilisk's head yeah. and then, like, fucking takes its, like, uh, fang out of well, its he, mouth. He gets a fang. Oh, right. He gets a fang in his, his arm. arm. And Tom's like, ah, ha, ha, Is that happening in the book or is that just a movie thing? No, it happens in the book because he's, like, dying. I will say that the back half of this chapter was cut out of my ripped version of the, the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't actually read, like, the last ten minutes of this chapter. You know what happens. I know what happens. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Harry gets bitten by the snake while killing it. Uh, he's about to die. The phoenix comes over and starts crying on him. And Tom Riddle's like, your dumb bird's even sad that you're dying. And then it's like, joke's on you, Tom. Phoenix tears heal. That was a throwaway comment that somebody made 200 pages ago. <laughs> but when you say like that, it does sound like two kids like doing play fight on the, on the playground. <laughs> like, well, you know what? My magic bird can heal me with tears. So, Yeah. It's, uh, birds can cry. <laughs> it's very convenient. <laughs> this is what Prince was talking about, Kelsey. <laughs> Fox cries on Harry's arm. He heals him. Harry comes back to life. In a moment of clarity, he takes the fang out of his arm. Mm. He stabs the diary. Tom Riddle is gone. The diary bleeds. Ink. <laughs> yeah. To death. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's definitely the most metal of all the endings of the Harry Potter books. <laughs> Stab, stab a well, he, diary with a with a basilisk fang. He, oh, a wizard and a and sword a, through a snake's head, and a snake gets blinded. After yeah. a wizard and a phoenix fight a giant snake and a it's ghost. Definitely a better a better fight than the like final fight. <laughs> <laughs> I love this book. <laughs> it's a good fight. <laughs> so then Ginny wakes up now that Tom is no longer draining her life force. She's like, "Oh my god, I did everything!" And Harry's like, "No, no, no, I get it. It's, it's okay. Fine. It's chill." Um, they make their way out of the cave and up and, uh, everything's getting, getting resolved. Yeah. I mean, Gilder Lockhart has no memory now, so right. he's <laughs> just an empty shell of a man, which is probably for the best. He wasn't a very good guy, but boy, we'll miss him though. Yeah. Yeah. Everything gets resolved. Ron and Harry don't get expelled, even though it's been threatened multiple times that they're going to get expelled if they break any more rules. Uh, I believe that they get 500 points a piece for Gryffindor. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Not only are you not expelled, you're kings of the school. <laughs> Such a stupid conceit that I love. And then, because um, Dumbledore has come back in, in you know, while, while all this was happening, Dumbledore has arrived back at the school in the enigmatic way that he does. Um, uh, no, it's because the other governors wrote to him and were like, oh my God, please come back. A girl is dying. <laughs> Lucius blackmailed us. Please come back. We miss you. So Lucius shows up because he's like, what are you doing here? And... What happens after that? Uh, Basically, as I remember it, and this is pretty crucial to my whole feelings about the Malfoy family in general. Yeah. Uh, Lucia shows up. Dobby's there too. Yeah. And Dobby and Harry and Dumbledore sort of all together, sort of piece together what Lucius's plan was. Yeah. And essentially, and stop me if I get this wrong, he swapped out one of Ginny's books during that fight in the bookstore in the early chapters. He like slipped it in between the pages. He slipped yeah. in the the diary, knowing that she would write in it knowing it would possess her 
because his plan was to use that in order to release the masks to purge to purge um, Hogwarts of mudbloods and also to like discredit the Muggle Protection Act that uh, that Weasley is trying to get pushed through yeah. into law. So uh, Lucius Malfoy, for anyone keeping track, is now the worst guy ever. <laughs> so he was going to he was, was going to kill a child in order to kill more children in order to like pave the way to wipe out an entire race of people. I'm kind of wondering if he knew exactly what it was going to do. If he didn't, why would he even like start? How would he pl- have this plan to begin with? No. It's made pretty clear in the books that he knew that he knew what he was doing. I, I feel like. I thought about this. It is, yeah. it is a deeply. That's like that's more knowledge than I thought Lucius Malfoy had about the end game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm with Jason. I think I like thought that he knew what he was doing. Like, I'm just just I I I think I thought that reading the book, but I'm also like thinking about it now that you've like laid it all out. <laughs> right. And, I'm, and like, his plan is like murder a child to murder more children. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a lot. <laughs> But it's all worth it, so I can uh, commit genocide. Also, what's confusing is like the like killing all of the like non pure blood kids at Hogwarts doesn't like stop the genetics <laughs> from creating like the gene pool from creating more non pure blood non pure blood like clearly magic exists in the world and like maybe those pure bloods will graduate and they'll meet a Muggle and they'll marry like like he's not he's like just fucking up a generation. And like murdering a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah, he's not a good, cool dude. I like honestly Drake... like thinking about this makes me think that Lucius Malfoy is more evil than Voldemort. Well, it was Voldemort's like original plan. I guess that's true. True, but he was a kid. But how does he know about it? Because they're bros. Like, like were what? they were they wait, bros? Wait, what? Yeah, like, they're how, bros. How? He's like but... a top Death Eater. Close your ears, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, <laughs> but like, I feel like the diary is like. Sort of precious to Voldemort. Yeah. So why does Lucius have it in the first place? And does he? how does he know what it's going to do? Did Voldemort, before he died, just be like, hey, in case I die. <laughs> <laughs> or am moved so far towards death that it takes me 12 years to 14 years to regain my power. Be a bro. Be a bro. I think that, okay, I think he, it's a precious object. Yeah. And it was entrusted in his care because he was a top person in that organization, I would imagine. And I think that he he must have known because why else would he let such a precious thing out into the world willy-nilly? It's right? like an incredibly important thing right? Okay. for reasons. I, I don't want to examine this too much because yeah, I anyway. know things are going to break down. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, the other thing that I was just about to say about it was that, so like, let's say that he knew all of those things. You don't have a lot of control about like where the snake is going <laughs> once it's out. Like, does the snake know it's supposed to kill Muggleborn? That's unclear. And also, like, it mm. kills by looking. So, like, if I'm walking around with my friend who's a pureblood, and we both turn the corner at the same time, we're both dead. And his <laughs> son is at the school, and he would not tell his son what was going on. <laughs> like, huh. that's that's also not very fucked up. But also logistically. <laughs> <laughs> 50 foot snake, mm-hmm. right? Moving around the pipes, I get that. Are there just like big manholes everywhere? <laughs> like, how do you have to get into the hallway to look at people? <laughs> Toilets. Well, I, I think Jenny is like doing partial tongue to let it out of the, the secret passageway in the bathroom. But wait, Jenny can't do partial tongue. Or could she? She was she, possessed. She was possessed I think yeah. she could. Yeah. I think the idea is that the snake gets out through the entryway in the bathroom. In the bathroom, okay. Because that's where Myrtle was killed. Like, yeah. when it, okay. it was popping up. Cool. Cool, cool. 
Yeah. So we really figured it out. Oh, we we missed one final important the element final important of the element, end. Element, yes. Uh, which is as Harry and Dumbledore sort of reveal to Lucius that they, that they know exactly what he was up to and he starts to storm off. Harry takes the bloody ink-stained venomous diary and he's like, hey, Lucius, and he shoves his sock into it and he throws it to him and Lucius Malfoy is like, gross, and he flings it away. And who catches it? Dobby. The helpful elf. And then Dobby's free. Because if you give a house elf clothes, they're free. If you give him, gave him a sock. If you give him Oops a muffin, oh He's boy. He's gonna want, I forget what happens I guess that. another muffin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm. Anyway, it's a happy ending for everybody, except for Harry, who has to go back to the Dur- Dursleys at the end of the year. So we sort of touched on a lot of stuff going through the uh, the plot summary. Yeah, we touched on a lot of things I wanted to hit. Basically everything I wanted to hit. Does yeah. it, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on that we didn't? We did Ginny, we did Gilderoy. We talked about Tara's fandom experience. <laughs> Scratch the surface. <laughs> we could talk more if you want. Is there I mean... more? I mean, how much do you got? Do you want to, we probably should have done this at the beginning, but do you want to <laughs> tell us like what your overall, like when did you start reading the books? And Yeah, sure. Um, so I was like an OG fan. I found the first book. Um, in 1999 in my Catholic school's library. Ooh. And like, Ooh. this was like before it was a thing. And so I just took it out and read it in like a weekend and loved it. Uh, and then gave it to my mom and my sister and made them both read it. And then I like didn't know that it was going to be a series. So a few months later at the end of that year, it was like, uh, you've got good grades. So we're going to go to the bookstore and you can pick out a book time. I don't know if That's your family's adorable. Are you like sure that. you want a Hermione? <laughs> <laughs> so just from like a bookish family. It's a very like Victorian era. Like children like, oh, I get my book of the year, Papa. Please to the bookstore. <laughs> you get oh, good I'm grades. So sick. And I'm so, so we sick. went, we got Thai food and then we went to the bookstore near the Thai place. And Wait, how old were you? Uh, it was just before my sixth grade year started. It was 11. the end of fifth grade. Eating Thai food at 11. Very advanced, Tar. I'm impressed. Mm, I like Thai food. <laughs> I, I didn't have Thai food until I was like um, 23. Something like that. <laughs> Sophisticated palate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I that was when I saw Chamber of Secrets, and I was like, holy shit, there are more of these <laughs> Wait, wait. <laughs> Which is like stupid. Obviously, it was going to be a series. Well, that's like a that's like an experience that like people can't have anymore. Right. Which yeah. is good in some ways, but also like, isn't that that's a little bit sad, right? Yeah. Like you can <laughs> never have like a, you know, because of the internet, basically, you can't have a moment where you're like, my favorite thing. There's another one. Yeah. I didn't know about it. <laughs> what? Uh, it was amazing. So that was my book that year. Um, and then the, well, not that, like I read more books that okay, year. Okay, okay, okay. But like, that was like my like treat end of fifth grade book. Um, and so then the next year I remember like I'd started a new school in the sixth grade and I remember talking to a kid about Harry Potter and he was like, oh, did you read the third one yet? And I was like, there's a third one. <laughs> it's already out. <laughs> what? Um, so that was my entrance. Yeah, you're, you're excited about the movie? But- <laughs> Well, no. Okay. The movie came out when I was in the eighth grade. And I remember this specifically because I wore a cape to school (laughs) that I I made. I wore a green velvet cape, a cloak, a cloak cloak (laughs) that I made to school because I was so excited about it. And that is uh, amazing. (laughs) That did haunt me through middle school and uh, high school. Yeah, but, but, you know, Tara, as adorable as that is, no shit it haunted you. You wore a cape to school. You can't just, like, walk that off. Um, like another a... thing that I did during those years was I shared a piece of fan fiction that I wrote with my middle school English teacher. And she, like, 
was a bitch about it. She was like, let me correct your grammar for this extracurricular writing that you're doing for fun in the seventh grade. And I remember being really offended. That bitch. I know. Also, you shared a piece of fan fiction with someone? That's amazing. With a teacher. <laughs> like, such trust, such innocence. She had, well, she had no idea what she was, like, taking into her hands. Huh. Fan fiction wasn't as widely known back then as it is now, yeah. I think. Um, um, uh, yeah, but so Tara, early adopter, heavy adopter. <laughs> into it. All in. We're cape to school. <laughs> All in. Homemade cape. I, I will say, the last defense against the dark arts teacher they had was literally possessed by the most evil guy in the world. <laughs> you think they can't vet these people a little bit harder on I mean, year no two? no one wants the job, Jason. That's no, a bad job. Snape wants the job. Pays Give well. Snape the job. <laughs> he wants it too much. <laughs> and then who would do potions? Oh, go to Roy Lockhart. <laughs> he's, he's as qualified to do that as he is to teach defense against the dark arts. Uh, That's true. When Lockhart like fixes Harry's arm at the Quidditch match, okay. that was another time where I was just like, I wanted to like yell at the characters in the book. I mean, when, when, when Harry gets his arm broken during Quidditch, a, a gruesome thing to happen. <laughs> and Gilroy fixes it by removing his bones. <laughs> And then the nurse is like, why did you let him do that? And Harry's like, I, de- I couldn't. It's like, Lady, look at me. I got a rubber glove over here for, for an arm. And then he has to regrow all of his arm bones. And it's painful. Yeah, it's... <laughs> but it's like, it's funny. That's it's like funny. another example, though, of like, you know, magic not... I just really like how magic's not a, like fix everything, fix all things. Like it can regrow bones. There, there are rules though. Fix like, all. like, but regrowing bones, you can't just wave your wand and your bones regrow. Like it that, hurts. But you do just wave your wand and your bones regrow. That's no, magic. Yeah, he, well, no, he had to take a potion. A magic potion. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes hours and it hurts real bad. <laughs> you know how long it takes to regrow your bones without magic? <laughs> do you want to? You want to put a number to that? I'm just trying to say. <laughs> That I like this, the world, like, the world doesn't see magic as, like, it's just another, you know, way to do things. Not necessarily everything you can do, <laughs> not in the magical works. I know you can't regrow your bones. You also can't remove Move all of bones. the bones. <laughs> this is true. And leave the rest of the arm skin. And vasculature, question mark? Right? Ooh. Fair point. <laughs> okay. So, Jason, do you still feel positively about the books after book two? Yeah, I love book two. It's great. It's you like book two a lot more than I thought it was going to. I like me more than I thought it was going to too. Mm-hmm. I like it more than the second book. I think it's very like it shows like it, it's immediately more the plotting is more advanced. The plotting is more advanced. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the characters are there's more characters. It's it's funnier than the first book. The first book is funny, but the humor is more pronounced in this book. Um, there's a scene where there's a scene where where Harry like thinks he's the like people think he's the heir of Slytherin, so everyone's avoiding him. But while this is happening, and Harry's sort of moping around the hall. Fred and George Weasley are walking in front of him going, watch out everyone, air Slytherin coming through, real evil wizard coming this way. And it's the funniest shit. And I read that and I was like, these two are my favorite characters in the book right now. I love this. Yeah. I lolled. Yeah. I lolled. I think I'm not, I'm not going to hide it. that this book gets a bad rap because the movie isn't good. Because mm. mm. the movie just feels like a reiteration of the first movie. With no magic. With like, I mean, like nothing's look, look, new and fresh. There's yeah. literal magic, obviously. Yeah. obviously. <laughs> Yeah, and re- I hadn't reread this book in a long time, and I I was like, this book's good. It's yeah. real good. I think I only saw the movie for this maybe once, which is yeah. odd for someone who is so excited about the first movie that they wore a cape in public. <laughs> um, cloak. Um, well, you learned your lesson. I did. <laughs> but 
uh, yeah, the book stands out so strongly in my mind, and it's one of my favorites. And thank you guys for letting me talk about it. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Tara. Sorry we like just talked about the plot the whole time, but we hit all the things we wanted to hit. No, I, I feel it. like we I wove it. it artfully, like J.K. Rowling. Uh, oh, yeah. we planted seeds. We did. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. Mm. Special thanks to Danny Abowd of the Weeping Willards for use of their song, Outside in the Rain, off of their self-titled album available now on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Rate, subscribe, follow, tell Facebook, a tell a friend. Listen, review. Review. Listen to Andrew Ninja Warrior. You should do that, yes. I do do that. Tar, do you want to play anything? Uh, I need to plug Tar. Watch Viceland, I guess, so <laughs> I can keep working there. <laughs> <laughs> And now we close the show with our standard sign-off, which we all know comes from the famous Harry Potter book series of Mischief, Mischief Managed. Managed. I messed up. I'm sorry. You really sped up there. Let's just take it again. Mischief, Mischief Managed. Managed. I just weren't sure if we were doing that again or not. Mischief <laughs> Managed. Mischief Managed. Harry Potter. guy that i work with his mom makes like a special snack mix that involves captain crunch and it was like the best fucking thing i'd ever eaten and then he was like oh we'll take orders and she'll like make more for us and then he like i he never, never found happened. him to do it what a piece of shit i know did you know it was do you remember it was in the mix at all yeah i wrote it down kind of but i like i don't know if i have the right recipe <laughs> could you get like a note in my do you want me could you maybe reconstruct my, it for us <laughs> hang on no i wrote it down it's in my email <laughs> looking it up Captain Crunch, Fritos, Small Townhouse Crackers, ch- Chicken and a Biscuit Crackers, question mark, Mixed Nuts, Pretzels, Life Cereal, Honey Nut Cheerios, A Tiny Bit of Salt, Slash Pepper, Slash Garlic Powder. You need to make this immediately. <laughs> that's, so much, that's so much more insane than I was. I thought it was all like sweet cereals. No, I wrote it down. <laughs> you need to make this immediately. <laughs>